And you know, there's nothing, there's nothing more confusing than to think you know God and you don't. In fact, in Matthew 7, Jesus, uh, there were those who approached Jesus and they said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? And he looked at them and he said, depart from me. He said, I don't know you. You know, there's a poem that says, the slightest words of tongue or pen are what might have been. Can you imagine standing before God at the end of your life and he looked at you and said, I don't know you. If there's one thing you want to be certain about, it's your eternal destiny. Everything else is up for grabs. But if you don't know for sure that you know him, then before you leave today, I want you to make sure that you know him. You see, he doesn't make it complicated. It's simply faith. We enter into his presence by faith, and it is the faith that he died on the cross was buried and rose from the dead for our sins that gives us eternal life. And it has to go from the head to the heart. It can't just be mental, you know, nodding to that truth. It has to be more than that. Let me ask you a question here. We're in a series in the book of Joshua. Have you ever, have you ever been standing somewhere and someone walked up behind you and you just sensed their presence? You ever had that? And it's kind of like, ooh. Or how about somebody walks up to you and they get too close? Right? Have you had that? I knew a guy that was about six foot five, but his legs were only about two feet of that six foot five, and he could bend from the waist at least three foot into your direction. And I'm not exaggerating too much, I, I tr trust me. But it was always uncomfortable because he got in my comfort zone. We all have comfort zones, don't we? I mean, I, I'm really fanatical about this. If we go out to eat and your water gets in my comfort zone, I'll move your water. If you put the salt and pepper down in my zone, I move the salt and pepper. Have you, can you, anybody relate to this kind of craziness? It is crazy, and I've really tried to change. I, I mean, I spent two or three seconds trying to <laughs> modify my behavior, and it didn't work. Well, I want to talk to you about comfort zones today. You know, when Israel left Egypt, if you know a little bit about the biblical story, Israel finds himself in bondage for 400 years under the Pharaoh. And there they were simply slaves, and God used someone named Moses to bring them out of the land of bondage into the promised land. Now, had they been following God, they could have been in the promised land in 11 days, but it took them 40 years because they wandered in circles in an area about the size of Missouri. If you can imagine 40 years trying to get to the destination and you're in a, in a space that size, and it was because they weren't listening to God. But they got comfortable in their wilderness. They got comfortable in their desert. And you see, I really believe that some of you are comfortable in your desert today. That it, it's your desert. You know it's a desert. You know it's a wilderness, but you've grown accustomed to it. You see, a comfort zone is this. I'm going to give you three thoughts on a comfort zone. Then we're going to go into the message. Number one, you get comfortable with your misery. I'll talk to people all the time. They'll say, I hate my job, or I hate this, I hate that. And I go, why do you stay in it? I don't know. And that's usually the answer, I don't know. You know, the secular word for faith is risk. And when you, when you exercise faith, you're stepping out into risk. As a believer, when you risk, you're stepping into faith. 
And what we have to do in our life, if we're gonna ever get out of the comfort zone, we have to risk. We have to, to recognize that this misery that I'm experiencing now is, is something I need to change. The second thing about your comfort zone is you really operate with a mindset that nothing is urgent. I have lots of time to get out of my comfort zone. I have lots of time to change. There's nothing urgent in my life. And what we do is we just become a wandering generality with no specific purpose in our life. No sense of direction, no sense of meaning. And we always think that there's gonna be a brighter day and we live in this false hope that something miraculous is going to happen that's going to come down and, and just be a euphoric experience and change me instantly into the person I really wanna be. You are the sum total today of all that you believe and all you've done. You're not a victim of what's happened to you. If you choose to be a victim, you stay in your comfort zone, and part of your comfort zone is blaming others for where you are in life. Third thing is, when you're in a comfort zone, you cannot see the future. The present or the past is so dominant in your life that the future doesn't even seem like it's out there. You can't think about that because that is disrupting your world. And we don't realize how, how much we live in those comfort zones. And some of them are innocent, like going out to a restaurant, but others are serious because they have a lot to do with your future. I will say this, that operating outside of your comfort zone never gives you the right to violate the word of God. I have people tell me all the time, well, I prayed about it. Well, that doesn't mean anything. You can hear, you can hear your voice all day long and not the voice of God. The voice of God will never contradict the word of God. You see, the word is literally, it's called the inspired word. That means that it's God-breathed. When you encounter the word of God, you're encountering God. The words of the Lord, these are words of life. These are words of eternity. The grass fades, the flowers fade, and the grass withers, but the word of God, it stands forever. So you can't violate that. Well, let me give you some good news, and, and this is a, a story. When we're in chapter three, we're gonna take a chapter a week uh, out of the book of Joshua. Chapter three is about their coming to that place of crossing over into the Jordan. Now, God led them there in that particular time in the harvest season when the Jordan River would flow about 12 feet deep and up to 40 miles an hour. And so it wasn't the easiest time to go. God could have led them there when the waters were low. Have you ever noticed how when God brings a challenge to you, he brings it when the waters are high? When the things are difficult? You, can, you say to God, God, couldn't you have done this yesterday? Couldn't you have, can't you do something different in my life? No, God is not about your happiness. He's about your holiness. He's not about you becoming easy and living on easy street and no problems. He's about shaping you to be a man or a woman of God that can contend with the enemy here on earth and prepare you for your eternal weight of glory in heaven. And until you understand that, you're gonna be complaining about God because you don't like the way things are going. Jesus is a great example. It says that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Now, do you think you're better than Jesus? Well, I got good news. Something epic is in your future. This little word, 
crossing over. You're going to see it throughout this time of Joshua when they're crossing over the river. It literally is a word that means epic, means something big. That, In other words, when you cross over that water, something big is going to happen in your life. But it doesn't happen unless you cross over. Two of the tribes refused to cross over when they went. They stayed on the other side of the Jordan. Nothing epic happened in their life. So you can stay in safe zone, in your comfort zone, but you're not going to experience the epic move of God in your life. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Joshua rose early in the morning. They sat out from Acacia Grove, and they came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel, and they lodged before they crossed over, so it was after three days. Now imagine this. God brings them up there, but they don't go for three days. Have you ever, you ever been delayed? Isn't it frustrating? How about waiting at a restaurant for someone to serve you? You know, I mean, I give them at least eight seconds, and I'm frustrated. How about you? But imagine God brings you up three days. Have you ever noticed how three in the Bible is a significant number? Jesus rose after the third day. Remember that? And throughout Scripture, you're going to see three being an important number for God. It was three days where, where Abraham took his son Isaac up on the mountain. Three days delayed. Three days. Three is significant. There are three primary colors. Every color you know is made out of three primary colors. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a trinity. He made you a trinity, body, soul, and spirit. Father, Son, and Holy, and Holy Spirit. Think about those parallels because God is trying to communicate something here. This is a divine moment. Three is a divine number. He says, I'm gonna hold you here because there's something divine. There's something supernatural. There's something miraculous. There's something epic coming in your life. And I want you, whether you say it out loud right now or you just speak it softly where you are, just say this, something epic is in my future. You see, when you start affirming it, it becomes prophetic. It becomes something you're, you're, you're saying to yourself, but you're also speaking it out to the enemy and saying something prophetic is in my future. Something good is coming in my life. Now, you could also be a false prophet, and you could say something bad is coming to me. If, and you know, many people do that because you know why? That's in their comfort zone. It's in their comfort zone to tell you how bad they are how sick they are, how poor they are, what a bad decision they made. You know, and what you're doing is you're reaffirming, you're cursing the ground that you literally walk on. You have to stop that. Let me tell you this. Delays are not denials. I just wish the Lord would work. He is. He's just on his calendar, not yours. You see, our frustration comes with we don't want God to be God with our calendar, with our future. We have to release everything unto God and say, God, you become my future. All my hope and everything I have is in you. You see, waiting on the Lord is never a waste of time. Now, my wife waits on me and I wait on her, and sometimes that's a waste of time. (laughs) But waiting on God is never a waste of time. And waiting doesn't mean you sit idly. I like to think about a waiter at a restaurant. I'm on a restaurant theme. Have you noticed that? Must be a fast going on here. I can, I can spot a Taco Bell sign from two miles right now. Amen? Nothing ever tastes that good. And last night we, we were down in, I mean, Taco Bell's a good taco. Let's just be honest. What, what, what? Listen to you. 
Uh, it, this deserves a Taco Bell story. So I'm coming back from L.A., and I call my wife from a meeting, and she says it was late. I said, hey, baby, what do you got to have for dinner? I said, well, you're on your own. It was kind of late. And I said, okay, I'm going to Taco I hadn't been to Taco Bell in years. I pull up there. I see names of things I didn't even know existed. Right? I don't know, chalupa, whatever it is. I mean, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. I said, give me two of those and give me three tacos. Now, this was before COVID, and it cost me $5 for a sack full of food. Now it's like $50, but anyway. But I, you know, I thought, you know, this is going to be like just basic junk. I bit into that. It was heavenly. Right? Heavenly. We're going to have a Taco Bell day one day here, huh? I don't even know where I went with that, but I'm, I apologize. I, I, I'm wrong, wrong for doing that. Let me just take you to Joshua 3, 5. I know I'm right with Scripture. Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, what's really interesting here is he used this word sanctify. That's not a word we think about. We hear terms like sanctimonious, right? But to sanctify means to set yourself apart to be holy unto God. This is a choice of your will. So in other words, you could get up in the morning and say, God, I choose to be holy for you. I choose to live for you, that you're sanctifying yourself. So what you do is you position yourself for favor through sanctification. You can do it right now. You can say, God, I just want to set myself apart for you. God, I want everything out of my life right now for you. Could I get a glass of water or a cup of water? Someone, thank you. I got two things. Um, so anyway, but when, when you do that, you're doing the second thing. You're expecting God to do a, a miracle in your life, to expecting God to do a wonder. Notice what he said here. <coughs> he said, and the Lord will do wonders among you. How many would you like to see a miracle or a wonder in your life? Right? I mean a real one, not, not one of those fake ones, a real one. You know, somebody said, hey, your, your life's a miracle. You know, yeah, my life's in, in the crapper right now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, seriously. Have you ever noticed the super spiritual people always tell you how good your life is going to be when it's really not doing well? And you go, yeah, you don't understand what I'm going through right now. No, but listen, you have to affirm where you want to go. My wife gave me race car driving lessons one time. Um, and it was open wheel, and, you know, you get, you get like three hours instruction, and then you put 12 guys in cars and fire suits, and they run around this open wheel course in Connecticut. It's not smart. <laughs> but one thing the instructor said is your wheel, the string wheel, will follow your eyes. So look where you want to go. If you spin out, look where you want to go. It's a great truth in life, isn't it? Look where you want to go. Don't look where you don't want to go. You see, you, that's why people end up the wrong direction because what are they doing? Their eyes go over here and their car drifts over here. Their life drifts over here. So look where you want to go. And, and God is gonna do wonders. And I just, I get a, I literally say this, uh, I'm gonna say almost every day. God, I expect you to do something great today in my life. I just do. And at the end of the day, I go, God, you still got a few hours. I literally do that all the time because I want to live in that expectancy. And I'm telling you, it brings joy to you as well because you're always like, you know, it's always Christmas. I get to open a gift. 
every single day of what God is gonna do. And it might be something you wouldn't classify as a miracle, but I do because I see the hand of God. It could be just a word spoken by someone. It could be a smile of a, of a child. It could be something. I go, that's the miracle of God. That's what I was waiting for today. You see, expect God to do wonders in your life. And then challenges that you face in life, they reveal your destiny. You know, your enemies are put there to shape you into your future. If you study scripture, you'll find so many times that God creates the enemy to go against his, his, uh, his, his person that he's gotten, you know, deleting out in order to shape them. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, you're not, please tell me you're not living in that world still. In the childhood world of dad, it's not fair. I used to tell my kids when they were little, they say it's not fair. I said, I know, and it never will be, and I won't either. It's just better to you learn right now what life is really about. It's not about fairness. It's about you committing yourself to do something and see God do something and working hard and getting there. That's what it's about. And all the way, I'm trusting in God, I'm trusting in God, I'm trusting in God. You see, you have a destiny. You can't get there without a challenge. Think about Moses. Here's Moses. He began his life with a challenge. The Pharaoh was killing all the babies. He was rescued out of that. God delivered him out of that. He grew up in Pharaoh's court. And guess what? In a moment of weakness, when he thought he was really in control of his life, he took the life of another Egyptian and then spent the next 40 years of his life in the desert. And it wasn't until the end of that 40 years that God appeared unto him. You see, that, that shaped him. That he, he, who would ever have thought at that moment that he was going to learn everything he did in those 40 years on how to survive in a desert, and then God was going to use him to lead the people through a desert for 40 years? Every, diff- every difficulty, every challenge you have is to prepare you for the future difficulty. It's going to be worth for you in eternity a great reward. So in Joshua chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Come hear the words of the Lord your God. Listen to what Joshua says. Okay, we're going to cross, but first hear the words of God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know the living God is among you. This was not about primarily getting the land. It wasn't about being blessed. It wasn't about getting something you want. It was about really understanding who God is. Really understanding God. Not a God concept, not living by a set of Christian morals, but really understanding God. Would you all, would we all just know the living God and experience that presence of God? He said that the living God is where he's among you. Imagine if, if we were living in the first century and we were in a setting like this and Jesus walked in and he sat next to one of you. You'd go, wow, this is amazing. I'm a little uncomfortable, right? I, you know, I don't know, what, how do I do, what do I do here? Do I ask him for a miracle? Do I, do I kneel down? What do I do here? Do you realize that he's here? He's among you. He's present. God says, I'm ever present help in time of trouble. See, God is always here. He doesn't have to come in physically. He's here in a greater way. He's here spiritually. People say, well, God speaks to me. How is that an audible voice? No, it's much louder. It's inside. See, when God gets inside and starts talking, he's shouting. It seems sounds like shouting. He's going, are you going to listen to me or not? So what is he telling us? Hear the words of the Lord. Have you ever just stopped and read the Bible and said, I just want to hear what God has to say? And just read it. 
Don't try to get an agenda. Don't try to find some truth. Just, I, just wanna, I just wanna be bathed in the word of God today. And just let him bathe you. And all of a sudden you go, wow, that just feels like, it's like washing me clean. Recently watched this video of a Holocaust survivor. She's still alive. She lives in San Diego. She's 93. And uh, she was in a classroom, and she was talking to all these students, and they, they asked her, do you ever want to get revenge, and do you ever want to get even with, with all that happened because her mom and dad were, were died in Auschwitz, and she almost died. And she said, my children and my grandchildren are my revenge. The fact that they could not take out our family is my revenge. You see, she was speaking life over the most horrible situation you could imagine. And that's what you have to do. Your revenge has to be life. It it can't be murder. It can't be disaster. It can't be defeat. It has to be life. The words of God are just going to be. And then she quoted this scripture. She said, we don't ever overcome our problems. This was so good. No one overcomes their problems. We go through them. I thought, wow. And then she quoted from Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. You have anointed my head with oil. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, for I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Think of that. When she says it, having gone through what she went through, it has a certain power and ethos to it that it doesn't when somebody else says it because she's experienced it. When you experience that going through the valley of the shadow of death and you're still sitting at the table of the Lord, then you understand what that's all about. You see, God's word is how you know the Lord. When you read the word, you're, you're, you're coming to know the Lord. I read it and I go, oh, this is what God is like. I thought God was like this. No, this is what God is like. Well, I don't think I like this part of God. Well, it's too bad that's who God is like. God doesn't like some parts of you either. <laughs> Amen? But that's still who he is. Well, if I were God, well, I'm glad you're not. We'd really be in a mess then. If I was God driving on the 91, I know what I would do. There'd be a lot of people going to heaven. (laughs) Let God be God. You know, the first rule of living out your life is that God is God and you're not. Second one is God does what he wants, when he wants, to whom he wants. And the third one is he doesn't have to give an explanation because he's God. If you understand those three truths, you're going to understand a lot about living your life. Joshua 3.10 Listen to what he says. He will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And he listed a, a lot of other tribes that I didn't mention. I just wanted to mention a couple. It says, here's the confidence of Joshua. God, without fail, will do this. That's faith, isn't it? It's the kind of faith that just says, I see no evidence of what's happening, but God is going to do it because his word said it. His word said it. You don't have evidence, so to speak, that you're going to heaven, but you have the word of God and that is all the evidence you need, amen? God said it, I believe that. Why would you believe that and not believe other things about God? I don't know, why I trust God for my salvation, but I'm broke. 
Well, you don't think God can take care of that? Why, why, would he, why would he lead you down a path of confidence and then lead you down 20 paths of defeat? That's not God. That's somebody else. That's not God. You have to go back and say, am I doing what God told me to do in the Scripture in order to experience that promise? What promise? Whatever promise you grab. God says, I'm going to fill you with joy. Well, am I walking out what it takes to be in joy? Amen? Without fail, he will drive out. And you know what I, I looked at? When I saw Amorites and Jebusites, I thought to myself, those are all different tribes that have different characteristics. They're different kinds of enemies. You see, you have enemies in your life. Some of the, evidence, some of the enemies in your life, you're good friends. Because you know what they do? They detract you from God. They'll say something like, well, you know, I tried that and God didn't come through for me. That's an enemy of God. That's your enemy. You see, because what are they doing? They're diminishing the faith in you that allows you to live out your life in the fullness of God. Anything, I look, anything in my life that distracts me from God or takes away my faith, I view as an enemy. Now, I got some choices. I can convert an enemy back into a friend by saying, listen, you're diminishing my faith. I'm gonna ask you never to speak those words to me again. And you say it in love, okay? But what you, get, you have to do is you have to remember, you are responsible to preserve your future. No one else will. If you don't do it, who's gonna do it? Who's gonna go, well, I'm really concerned about your future, so I'm gonna go ahead and just take care of all your problems. And all. Nobody's doing that. Now, they might wanna get in your business, that's different. See, God is responsible for your enemies. How about that? God, I don't know what to do here. Jude says in Jude 24, 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and cause you to stand upright in that day from the only God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who's able to keep you from stumbling and cause you to stand up? God. What happens when I, I go down the wrong road? God is going to correct you. And it probably won't be comfortable if you don't cooperate. You say, I'm feeling good about it. That doesn't mean anything. The devil feels really good about his future. The Bible says that demons even believe and shudder. Think about that. Demons believe what the word of God says, but they can't repent, they don't repent, and they will not repent. But you have an opportunity to repent. Enemies multiply when the stakes are high. Have you ever noticed how when things are going bad, they get worse? We've got this thing, you know, bad things come in threes. You ever had somebody say that to me? I go, well, thanks. That's encouraging. But, you know, there is a level of truth in it. It seems like when things go difficult, more things follow, don't they? Have you ever noticed that? Well, you see, what, what we have to understand is this truth, that enemies multiply when the stakes are high. You see, if you're, if you're moving in the direction of God, what's going to happen sometimes is you're going you're to face opposition. And that opposition can come from every different angle that you're thinking about. But you have to realize, why is there, ask the question, why is there opposition right now in my life? Maybe it's because you're getting close to what God wants to do in your life. Maybe it's because a breakthrough is right around the corner. Maybe it's because God is going to open up some things to you that you never imagined, but he wanted to see if you had the tenacity to stay in the fight through the difficulty and through the trials and through the problems and see the hand of God regardless what came against you. You said, my God is able. Amen. My God is able. Jeremiah 12, 5. 
I love this scripture. And listen to what it says. If you have run with men and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? This verse really is tied into the Jordan River crossing. 12 feet deep water, 40 mile an hour waves coming down, stream coming down. And you've got to cross that river. When you walk through the waters, you, they will not overcome you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The words of Isaiah, words of Jeremiah, if you've walked, if you've run with, uh, if you've run with men and they've wearied you, if you can't compete, why are you even, what is going to happen when things really get tough? You know, what we saw through this pandemic was that there are a lot of places, a lot of leaders, a lot of churches, a lot of individuals who just didn't know how to compete in this world, and they just gave up and rolled over. What are you going to do when it really gets rough, really difficult? And then he goes on to say, if in a safe land you fall down, how will you do in the jungles of the Jordan? If in safety, what do you do? What are you going to do now? Tammy referred last week, I believe it was, to the persecution, more persecution among Christians worldwide than ever in the history of Christianity. What are you going to do when that comes to your doorstep? You see, you have to have this built into your life now. You have to, and this third great truth, and I, Kim didn't know I was going to speak on this, but you have to follow the presence of God. Let's go back to where I started. Somebody walks up behind you, you just feel their presence, you turn around, and you, go, you knew someone was there right? Someone walks in front of you and they get in your space. You know they're there. You see, the presence of God is like that. It's where you have an awareness of God to where he is there. He's there. He's here. He's right here. And I, and I invite his presence into my life. Let me, let me give you a, kind of a statement about the Hebrew term for presence is panim, it is also translated face. You ever heard people talk about the face of God? Have you seen it in Scripture? That literally is the same word that we use for the presence of God. That means that God, I, I see God's face. I know what's, and when we say that, we see the expression of God, which is also translated face, implying a close personal encounter with the Lord. And the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of the presence of God but it was not the prison house for his essence. In other words, you couldn't confine God to this box called the Ark of the Covenant. So what's the Ark of the Covenant look like? Indiana Jones, do you remember that? That great flick of all times, right up there with the Godfather and others. But Indiana Jones, the Ark of the Covenant, you see, that was a, a representation of the Ark in the Old Testament, and they carried it because it, it, was the, it was a symbol of the presence of God. When the Ark showed up, the presence of God showed up. So now watch this. Joshua 3.3, 3. when you see the Ark of the Covenant, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites bearing it, you shall set out from the place and you shall go after it. You're gonna follow the Ark. In other words, you're gonna follow the presence of God. See how that works? When you see God move, I'm going after the presence of God. I'm tempted to go this way or go this way, but no, I have to go after the presence of God. There's nothing more important than the presence of God to, to know his presence. You know, Moses said, I will not follow unless your presence goes with me. Think of that. I'm not going anywhere without the presence. Joshua 3, 6, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. 
Joshua 3, verse 11, look what it says. The ark of the covenant of the Lord your God over all the earth's crossing over before you in the Jordan. Joshua 3, 17, the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on the day ground, uh, on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Do you see something happening here? And I only gave you a few of the references to the ark of the covenant in chapter three. Why would God say something so many times? He wants us to get it. He wants us to understand that you can't do anything that's gonna be significant in your life unless you follow the presence of God. And what could be healthier? What could be more freeing? I just wanna follow God. I wanna be in his presence. I wanna know God. You see, when things are not going right, follow the presence. When you need a solution, follow the presence. When you need a miracle, what do you do? You follow the presence of God. You never know what's gonna lead you down a path of his presence. You know, sometimes it's literally engagement in what God is up to. Serving, loving, being present when God is present, all of those things. At the end of March, we're gonna do something that we haven't done before. We're gonna go to Mexico and we're gonna build uh, homes there. And we're pretty excited about it. There's an opportunity for you to go as well. If you wanna go, there's a few slots left. But I wanna show you just a little clip of of what happens there where in just 48 hours, a home is built for a family. And that that home will have uh, everything furnished in it. And our team will go down there. They'll have the concrete poured for us, so we'll do all the rest. And uh, a home fully furnished from start to finish is $18,000. And so we're just going to pay for that. We're going to try one house, and if we do well, if the house stands up, we're going to go back and do another one. Amen? But let me, let me tell you what happens in situations like this. And the reason I give this illustration now is because you never know what, your, what God's going to do in your heart if you go. Because sometimes you have to pursue opportunities where the presence of God is easy to land on you. Amen? And to help a family, to, to minister to people in a way like that is so powerful. So I'm going to just invite you right now. I want to invite you into the presence of God. Would you stand with me? I want to invite you to experience his presence. I'm sure many of you, hopefully all of you right now are saying, I'm experiencing the presence of God. I feel God in this situation. And some of you say, I'm not really sure if I do. I I want to just invite you to pray a prayer like this one. You can pray it out loud right where you stand or where you sit. Heavenly Father, I want to experience your presence right now. I want to feel you. I want to know you. I want to... I want you to be my leader and my guide. I want to acknowledge you. Just take away all the distractions right now. Just allow me to be clean and pure. Allow me to focus on you and on your word. Be my God and be my leader in Jesus' name. Just welcome his presence now. Just say right now out loud, I welcome your presence, God. Just say it out loud. I welcome your presence, God. I welcome your presence. Just say it out loud. You'd be surprised how that helps. I welcome your presence. 
I welcome your presence.